Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. My dad is my hero. He'll always be there to take your call, and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. Hey, hey, hey. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman-Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Today's guest, Ken Rusk, is a professional ditch digger, a Wall Street Journal bestselling author of Blue Collar Cash, and he took a lot of influence from his dad. He sets goals so he doesn't get distracted on the life that he wants to build. Ken, welcome. Good morning. Hi there. How are you? I am good. How are you? I'm great. All right. So, wow. To your book. Amazing. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's awesome. I'm glad you, I'm glad you uh, had a chance to check it out. Yeah. You know, one thing that really stayed with me that I would love to start on something that you kind of said, and I'm probably paraphrasing here is that we all have deformities and some of them are easier to see and some of them are hidden. Yeah. I haven't actually heard you talk so much about that. Do people ask you about that? I think for me, it was kind of the basis for how I dealt with adversity early on. Whenever you have something like that, you have a choice. Either it wins or you win, right? And so for me, it was just kind of a way of dealing with that whole thing when I was younger. And, and it kind of developed this whole, they say good humor is a sense of genius. And I don't call myself a genius. I don't. But if there is some truth to the fact that you can you know, create a situation where you can create a positive communication between one, one person and another. I, I learned early on, someone told me that whenever you meet somebody, they should be better off for you having, having had met them, even if it's only for a minute. And yeah, so for me, I, I, there's, there's too much drama in this world. So I, I like to laugh and I'm a humor guy. So that's kind of how I, I fought that off early on. Amazing. Yeah. And also, I mean, this is the Better Call Daddy show. And I love that you talk about your daughter in the book. And what she yeah. went through. Can you talk a little bit about that? If you go through an illness yourself, you deal with it and you know what it's all about. Good or bad, it's what it is and you have to deal with it. When you're dealing with a child that has an illness, especially a really serious one, I think it's way worse than suffering yourself because you want to fix it. You want to make everything right. You want to change the outcome. And you know, you're relying upon the strength of the individual, in this case, her, and you're relying upon the doctors and everything else. But it's funny because I've created a lot of businesses and I've been very busy and I spent a lot of time with her growing up. And that's, I'm eternally grateful for that. I watched every golf swing she ever took. So that to me was the real basis for, wow, how can I share this with others who may be going through the same thing? I just kept coming up with the words, comfort, peace, and freedom. Like what should you really be chasing in life other than dollars? Okay. Because you know, dollars in and amongst themselves don't mean anything. It's, it's what you do with those things. So for me, it was all about, I, I started writing a letter to her about what I thought was important. And it just bloomed into a <laughs> 80,000 word manuscript. <laughs> Lo and behold, I had a publisher take a look at it. And now I have agents and I have, you know, editors and all these things, and PR people. And it, it's just been crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. What does she think of all of this? 
you know, she's pretty proud of me for doing it because some people think writing the book is the hard part. That's actually the easy part. I mean, all the rest of it, the business aspect of being an author, you know, you go through rewrites and you go through editors' opinions and you go through what the publisher wants. And then the business side of it, doing podcasts, which I love to do, sharing the stories. It's funny because looking back on it now, the information came to me to write in the book pretty easily. And the rest of this is, it's more the business side of it, which I still enjoy. But I would encourage anyone to just start writing down stories. If anyone out there wants to be an author, I, I didn't know I was going to be an author. I just started writing down stories and then we glued them together with the help of some people in New York City at, at my editor's office. And it was a blast. Yeah. What else have you figured out like that? I mean, have you now spoken in front of big crowds? Like, how do you prepare for that? In the book, if you remember in the book, is I talk about, you know, how to build a skyscraper. Okay. I've never built a skyscraper before, but if I had, what would be the first thing I would probably have done? So yeah, I kind of look at everything that way. It really takes the fear out of it when you do it that way, because if you begin with the end of, you know, let's say in this case, an audience clapping and loving what you said and work back to now, then you prepare better that way and, and you can see what the eventuality is. I think a lot of times we fear things that we don't know what they might be outcome-wise. So for me, it was all about imagining the outcome in advance. And then that prepared me to go ahead and do some of those things, which, you know, that's building houses in Missouri or building office buildings in Ohio or running the companies I have to do. I tend to try to look at what the outcome will be and visualize that. And then it makes it, makes it that much easier to get there. Yeah, that's another thing that I've heard you talk about too. Like not everyone gets to see the beginning, the middle and the end. What has that been like for you? I don't think anybody does anything without knowing what they want the outcome to look like. And, you know, a lot of times when you're having a conversation with somebody and they'll say, do you see what I mean, Rena? And then (laughs) do you see what I mean? They'll they'll make another sentence and they'll say, do you see what I mean? What they're actually, if you stop for a second, What they're actually trying to get you to do is they're trying to get you to see the pictures that they have in their mind as they're conversing them to you. They're trying to transfer a photograph from their head to your head through words, descriptive words, color, whatever, detail. So for me, you never put your car in reverse back out of the driveway, put it in drive and go, where the heck am I going? I mean, you always have an idea, whether it's going to church or school or the mall, meet your friends or whatever it might be. We spend our our lives doing these little daily small visualizations, even what we're wearing or which way we're going to work, what we're going to have for lunch, whatever it might be. And and my feeling is you need to transfer that ability to visualize across all spectrums of your life. Okay, what your perfect vacation is going to be next year, what your house might look like when you get one, your transportation, what your pet might be, a dog or a cat. And if so, what color, what would you name it? You know, what what um, your hobbies might be, what your charitable give back moment might be, what your family might look like, all those different things. You know, we're really good at visualizing these little short term things that we do every day. Why can't we be good at visualizing all that stuff? Because then it gives you a better way to anticipate your life. And your life feels so much more going forward that way, rather than, I wonder if something's going to happen good for me someday. Who taught you to be that way? You know, I had two good examples, and that's a great question. I started working as a ditch digger for a guy when I was 15. And, um, you know, we were pretty successful. We grew the company pretty quickly, and he was able to trap some pretty cool things in life. And I watched him do that. And uh, my father was the same way. He was a hardcore Marine, and he became successful later in my life, probably more like when I was 16 or 17, I would guess. In both of those cases, they said, hey, this is what we've done. Now you go do it. Neither one of them was willing to hand us 
me these successes. So they painted pretty good pictures of what could be. And I was like, well, I mean, I can do that. So if you visualize what you want, your life is just so much more whole while you're living it. And that also kind of goes into, you talk about goal setting and what a slim percentage of people actually do that. You know, it's crazy because we all know how to do it. You can't even get to work every day without planning and goal setting. I mean, if you think about from the time you wake up to the time you walk in the office door, all those things that happened to you along the way were little mini goals that you set and made happen, right? Otherwise, you, you just sit still. So I think for me, to be able to see what you want your life to look like is probably one of the most powerful things that you have. And People always, you know, they'll say to me, well, you're an entrepreneur, you're lucky. Well, here's a crayon and here's some paper, draw entrepreneur for me, would you? I mean, they can't do that, right? What entrepreneur actually is, is it's a series of characteristics and traits that a, a human being expresses in order to get what they want. But really what it is, is all entrepreneurs are just visionaries. They just see what they want. Things like persistence and resilience and creativity and initiative and faith and humility and all those characteristics that I talk about in the book, every one of us has those things. We just need a reason to bring them out and we need a why. And so I say there's an entrepreneur in everybody once they know what they want. Until they know what they want, those feelings are kind of shut down. But I'm no different than anybody else. I just could see things that I wanted to go after. And I'm really shocked that more people, that study blew me away because I would have thought 30% of the population does those things, but it's one. It's so easy to do. It should be taught in high schools. It's not, and you know, we're trying to change that. So do you think that entrepreneurs make good employees? Man, that's another great question. So I talked with Tom Galisano from, he's the founder of Paychecks. I read his book and then he actually did some stuff for my book. One of the things that he talks about, which I totally agree with is called entrepreneurial employees. Okay. So the way I look at it, I've probably stood in front of the 200 people that work in our organization and said this a million times. I can't get what I want, nor can this company get what it wants or needs until all of you get what you want first. It's absolutely true. So if you can position even your employees to feel as though they are in control of their future, they're in control of their path, their destiny, they're in control of their departments, they're in control of how, how they can earn money. Well, then, yeah. You can have an employee who's very entrepreneurial. Absolutely. And if that turns into them wanting to do their own thing, fantastic, because I had the benefit of having them within my organization all that time. So I don't fear that. When it comes to whether an entrepreneur can be a good employee, I, I think yes. And if you create enough pathway for them to get what they want out of life, they'll remain in your company even though they're an entrepreneurial employee of yours. I love that answer. I also am curious, like, is there a blue collar community and how has social media played a role for the blue collar worker? There's a lot of blue collar communities out there. The, the, the issue with that is in the last, I would say, I don't know, Rena, probably in the last 30 years, the stigma has really gotten strong against blue collar work. And it's real simple. So you know, I call this the perfect storm. Back in the mid 80s, when, when I was in, in, in high school, you could walk down the hallway, look in shop class and see them grinding out wooden tables. And you can see the guys fixing cars in the mechanic shop or, you know, doing some kind of home economics thing or uh, wiring electrical outlets, whatever. So you had the chance to accidentally discover those things. Well, we took all those classes out of high school for some reason, and we replaced those rooms with computers. Now, I understand we all had to learn computers. I get that. 
but why was it one versus the other? Why couldn't we have had both, right? So now you just eliminated millions of kids from accidentally discovering how cool it is to be a finished carpenter, okay? Then you pair that up with the fact that instead of building a treehouse in your backyard out of wood and a hammer and nails that you find, you know, we're building our cities on Minecraft on these cell phones. And that's not the same experience at all. So if you compare those two forces with the fact that colleges are really good at shaming parents into saying it's college or else, you'll have a failure on your hands. I mean, nothing could be further from the truth there. So yeah, we've gotten this kind of stigmatization of blue collar work. And I can tell you, supply and demand is a powerful thing, Rena, right? So where supply is low and demand is high, that's where the money's going. That's where it's going right now. And I've got friends who are carpenters and plumbers and electricians that are making a lot more money than some pretty highly educated you know, lawyers and whatnot. So it's a phase we're going through and I hope, um, I hope we can get through it. I definitely can relate to that, what you just said right now, because I need an electrician and one got back to me and was like, I can't even do like the minimum of what you want for a month. Right. For every 10 electricians retiring today, only five are coming online. So what does that tell you? We're going to lose half the electricians that we currently have because their average age is 52 to 55. So now what? Well, supply and demand is going to do what you just said. Short supply and high demand, you're going to pay a fortune. Someone's going to go, you know what? Maybe instead of going to college to get that bland business degree that I'm never going to use, maybe I should be an electrician, okay? Or I can come right out of school making some serious money and be in control of my own destiny. So it's a choice. I mean, I have a 14-year-old too. And when I was 14, I took a job at Dairy Queen. Now you have to be 16, some places 18, a lot of places they're hard to get into. I'm thinking the best way for, you know, my own child to get an apprenticeship or some sort of work at this age would be to work for a family run business. Well, let me do a little math on that for you. So let's assume that you have a college degree that costs you 50,000 a year over four years. And I mean, all in books, travel, gas, you know, room and board, everything, classes, the whole nine yards. So that's, you know, $200,000 over four years. And that's a negative. Hopefully you didn't borrow that money, but that's a negative on your asset base. So now let's say what you just said, where I can go work into a carpentry company or whatever it might be. Literally, if you can fog a mirror right now, you can start out at $50,000 a year. I'm absolutely serious on that. People laugh when I say that, but it's the truth. So multiply that by four years, that's 200,000 on the plus side of the column. That's a $400,000 swing in your asset base from one to the other. So if you're going to go buy a degree that you're not going to use, you at least need to think about the other side of that equation because 200,000 plus, I mean, in four years, that's a house, that's a car, that's a retirement savings, that, that's a lot of things. So I, I just look at it as, as it's a choice that people need to think about before they just take this societal norm expectation of, I got to go to college or else, because it's just not true. Plus, you also mentioned how many people switch their majors, how many people don't finish, how many people well, really don't know what they want to do when they enter. I couldn't believe these numbers, Reno, when I got them. <laughs> 40% of the people go into school not knowing why they're going. Okay. Of those, 25% change their, their major after they start one. And then 33% of the people never that graduate with a degree never use it. So, you know, when, I, when I'm thinking about the inefficiency of that, I think, man, if, if you're going to be a job specific thing, like if you want to go be a doctor and, and you want to work on, you know, maybe a dermatologist or something, 
That's very specific. You have a job waiting for you when you're done. Like engineering, teaching, those types of things, managing money. You have jobs waiting for you when you're done. These other degrees that are kind of like being sold to these kids that are just kind of bland, non-specific, whatever, they come out and there's not a specific job on the other side. Those are the ones that I really worry about because that's a lot of the kids that weren't really planning on going anyway. They didn't really have a super passion to enter that. So they're coming out with all this debt and, and no job prospects. And that's to me, those are some people that probably would have been better off or could be better off running their own shows in, in some type of a trade. You know what else I find to be interesting? The social aspect. Like all of these kids that are addicted to their screens and are a part of these online communities, like how are they going to be able to communicate? Well, yeah, you know, I worry that everyone compares themselves to everybody else's best possible moments on a daily basis. And we all know that that isn't reality, right? They might live in that reality for a while. And yeah, everything's perfect in their world. And then you find out, wow, they're human. Maybe they had something going wrong with their relationship or whatever. And it's like, oh, they are human after all. But I think that could, that's a, a huge double-edged sword. I mean, you can certainly use social media to help you learn things and help you to figure out how to behave in certain situations or whatever. But man, to compare yourself to those, to those others, that, that, that's a sad story. And I think when you hear parents and this, you know, they have some say in this too. When you hear parents say, well, my kid's going to Princeton or my kid's going to Duke or whatever. Well, what, what about what's her name, son or, or daughter? What, what are they doing? Well, he's just going to be a plumber. Okay. Well, I know that plumber. <laughs> He's now got six bands, 12 employees, and he's killing it. So, you know, we have to be careful, even as parents, how we put this information out there in front of our kids so that they, they don't think, well, man, I could be the best finished carpenter ever, but my parents won't let me. They say, I got to go get a business degree. And I, I just don't get that. I have seen on your social media how you have highlighted some people that have gone into the trades and made good money. Can you talk about some of the success stories? You know, there's so many of them. I've had gals who were just helping their father do office work in his dump truck, <laughs> in his construction dump truck business, who now, you know, th this gal, I love her. She's probably five foot tall and 100 pounds, and she's got 15, 20 dump trucks, and she's on construction sites, bossing people around with her hard hat. I, I mean, I love it. It's fantastic. Another gal, this one I really like. She was going through a two-year degree and she was only going because they told her she had to. And she had a couple of kids along the way. So it took like six years to get it done. And, you know, she finally said, I want to finish this. So she needed one more elective. She asked her buddy, what, what should I do? And he said, I really like this welding class. There's a couple of gals in it. You should check it out. So she took this welding class, literally had a job before she was finished. And now she stands on top of 300 foot tall windmills and she's making 150 grand a year as a 27 year old. So she's happy as a clam because she loves what she does. And again, not everyone wants to stand on top of a windmill, but that's not what she does every day. She's a welder and she's, she's very precise. She's very patient. And, and that's what that job requires. So I always get pushback when I say this, I always get controversy when I say this, sometimes it's not so important what you do for a living as it is what you do with what you do for a living. And I think that's where people get lost on this, because our goal is to work so we can live, not just to live so we can work. The end game is what it's all about. And, and there's a lot of different ways to get there. Yeah. So what would you tell people that, you know, want to leave their corporate nine to five and maybe they enjoy doing woodworking on the side? Like, what are some ways that 
you could actually enter entrepreneurship or find a trade that might be a fit for you. Well, yeah, this is great. You know, the term side hustle is a term that's only been around for a few short years, okay? That's one of the great uses of social media and the internet. I've seen people say, you know, I'm going to build these crafts or these pieces of furniture or these beautiful tables with epoxy wood tables and just unbelievable, beautiful stuff. They put them on the internet and then they sell them, right? Well, pretty soon, you know, the income from that goes up and there's a crossroad. And as soon as you hit that crossroad, and it's time to launch, leave what you're doing and make, make a run for it. You can always go back and find one of those jobs. I, I know that sounds crazy, but you can, especially with today's workforce. So I think the side hustle is a really good way to do it. You know, unless you're, maybe you have a supportive spouse who's making some money and then he or she can do the other. But I would just say this. There was a guy who said to me once, I'm 51 years old. I was a plumber's assistant when I was 19. I loved being on the construction sites. I went to school because my parents said I had to. I'm now working in a cubicle on the 15th floor selling medical supplies. I hate it. I left my job because of your book. <laughs> Here we go. He goes, I'm a year in. I'm having the best time of my life. I'm making money. I am so happy that I left my passion to go back or my, I left what I was doing to find my passion, which was to run my own little business. And that's what he's doing. Couldn't be happier. So. Success story number one there. Would you say that that goes along with your definition of comfort and freedom? Yeah, comfort, peace, and freedom. Yeah, because it's all about control, right? So he is now in control of his input, his daily output. He's in control of the quality of his work. He's in control of the pace, his schedule. He's in control of the financial gain he gets from his work. And so many of us, we pass right by the fact that what, how, how important is being in control of your own life? I think it's really important myself. He's pursuing his version of comfort, peace, and freedom now, which is different for everybody. I couldn't be happier. So, you know, you only got about 90 years on this planet. You want to make sure that they're as good as can possibly be. And um, if you're miserable, that doesn't go away. I just had someone message me today who was miserable in the workplace and he just up and left. He had been there, I think, for a decade plus, and he just made the decision. And I was like thinking to myself exactly what you just said, like life is too short. And if you've had a job like that, that you've put up with for a decade, there is something better around the corner. I got to tell you, I hate to say this, but I'm 58 <laughs> years old. I don't remember 43, 46, 47. I mean, I had great time, but I don't, you know, they go by so fast that there's a very famous line in the. Uh, Shawshank Redemption, where they said, get busy living or get busy dying. And I, I just, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that you have, all of a sudden you gain all this wisdom once you turn 50, because you're looking backwards, you know, and you're like, wow, what's going on? So yeah, if I could impart any advice on anybody out there, I would say get busy living because it goes fast. It's funny that you feel like wisdom comes at 50 because I'm in the 40 realm now. And I'm like, I feel like I'm <laughs> now not caring so much about what people think. And oh I am also feeling like so much more tuned into intuition where if something keeps me up at night and I don't feel like it's exactly yeah. what I want to do, I'm like, let me rethink that. But you there's are so many so things, right. right? Like there's so many things when you're younger, you're like you push yourself to do it, even though you've got that gut instinct speaking yeah. to you not to. Yeah, it's, it's really crazy because there are people in my life that aren't in my life anymore because they were just, energy vampires that they call them. You know what I mean? And they were just too drama. So yeah, I still see them when I have to, but I, it isn't like I reach out and, and want to embrace this person. 
because you can see the life, the, the world they live in is just a negative energy cesspool. So yeah, it, it's one of those things where you are 100% correct. I try to do what I want, not what I don't. I try to see who I want, not what I don't. So you gain that after a certain period of time, I guess. That's really, that's interesting. I am curious too, like how has the blue collar industry changed from when you first entered it until now? Like, are there major changes that you've witnessed? Yeah, I think one of the big, well, there's two, one's positive and one's negative. The, the negative one will get out of the way first. That's the stigma. There's 167 million people in the United States considered full employment, right? 77 million of those people, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, do something with their hands. So let's count that as almost half. So almost half the population does something to keep the rest of the world moving, right? So if we try to put 100% of everybody into college, that's going to create this horrible imbalance. It's going to create more pressures on, on wages and that type of thing, which is good for the people still willing to work with their hands. So the negative side, it's the stigma. The, the positive side is barriers to entry, especially for women, on a lot of these jobs are gone now. You know, you don't have to lift the same way. You don't have to hold things the same way. There's there's lots of things that, that they've done to create a better environment for women to get into some of these trades. And I, I wish they would because they're fantastic at it. They look great in hard hats too. I mean, just, you know, we can't take that all on our own. I mean, it's, it's a great thing to watch. Um, and I've seen quite a few. I, I met a gal the other day. Her grandmother was a plumber. Her mother was a plumber and she's a plumber. And I think that's just fantastic. So I applaud that side of the, you know, Rosie the Riveter, right? I applaud that side of, of the equation. I hope it grows and continues to grow along the way. Okay, so speaking of passing on plumbing, what do you feel like you've taken from your parents? My father was a perfectionist. He was a hardcore Marine. So, you know, I would wash the car and he would come out and say, nope, not good enough, do it again. And he was right. He never made me do something where it wasn't right. But there was a lot of, if you want it, you know, see it and then go get it. So I would say I, I took that from him. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a perfectionist as well. I, I can't park my car in the garage if it's on an angle. I got to repark it straight because it'll drive me nuts. That just comes from wanting everything, everything to be in order and to be right. It's not, a, it's not like an illness of mine or anything. It's just, you just want things to be right. And th that's what I love about this whole visualization process because I actually took several people in my, in my office and I gave them a cardboard, a piece of cardboard or a, a poster board and some crayons. And I said, draw your perfect vacation. Well, one drew the beach and one drew the mountains and one drew Disney World and one drew this. They all drew different things. And guess what? They were all right. You know, maybe going to Disney World wouldn't be my thing. OK, but it sure was theirs. And I'm happy to have them go do that. So we pursue those things around here as goals. And I think everyone has their own version of their own nirvana, their own comfort, peace and freedom. We're not all going to chase mansions, 15 cars and mega yachts. And that's fine. Go do what you want to do. If you can look in the mirror and say, wow, I've got it. I got it. I got comfort, peace, and freedom. I got it. You're in pretty rarefied group right there. So draw what you want for yourself and then go make it happen. I love that. What is something that you either want your family to carry on or something that you don't want them to carry on? Oh, wow. This is like, you're like Oprah. You're asking an amazing <laughs> question right there. 
I would want them to carry on giving back because I think that's incumbent upon all of us. I funny thing about charity, and you know, I've been to these charities where you go to these these auctions, okay? And yeah, I'm going to give three. You know, someone's going to give three thousand dollars, but they expect a trip in return for it. Okay, I get it. The trip was donated, but that's not technically giving, in my opinion. So giving, you know, selflessly of your time, your talents, and your treasures. I would hope that my family would continue that on, and I know that they will. So that would be a really, really good thing. What do I hope that they wouldn't? You know, I, I, I could probably, because I like so much order, I could probably be a little more spontaneous. <laughs> so I would want them to live a little more spontaneously, like, hey, take the dog for a walk a few more times in the park, you know, and breathe that good air, <laughs> that kind of thing. But yeah, that, that's, that's probably about it. That's really cool because I just moved to Texas and we have literally boxes in every single room. And on Sunday, my kids wanted to go to the planetarium and the zoo and we did not unpack one box. Yeah. We decided to have an adventure Perfect. in the new city with the kids. And I was like, Perfect. I'm good with it. Yeah. <laughs> box will be there when you get back. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, it was hard enough packing all the boxes. Now who wants right. to unpack them, right? Like right. kids are living in boxes. They need to have a little bit of fun. And I love how you pack them so neatly and carefully. And then when you unpack them, you just dump them on the floor. I mean, <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. This has been such a pleasure. Is there anything that you would like to ask my dad? If I were to ask your dad, hmm. I would probably ask him the same thing that Oprah just asked me a minute ago. I would say, what do you want her to follow and what do you want her, for, her to forget? You know? Yeah, that, that's a really, really good question. I really love Better Call Daddy as a name, by the way. That, Thank really you. No, yeah. I, I guess I would say this. When someone buys a book, I, I donate one. I've donated thousands of books already to things like Junior Achievement and whatnot. And so I built a course. The course is what, something that takes the book and turns it into reality for you so that you don't just read the book and stick it on the shelf like a trophy and then forget about it. For every course that's bought, I donate a course as well. So if anyone out there you know, is interested in the book or the course, know that if you do get involved in that, you're not only going to be helping yourself, but you're going to be helping somebody else, either a mentee of your choice or someone that, that we pick that could use the help. So love to get that message far and wide. Yeah, that's amazing. Actually, when I heard you say that on another podcast, it totally made me want to take the course because I was really into the book and then being able to get into the book in a different way, kind of like a book club or to have follow-up thoughts yeah. or the course that you designed alongside of it. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I was, it was a, that? Well, I don't know if you can see, but there's a bunch of books over there <laughs> on my, not, Good marketing. not my book to the left of it. There's a pile of books there and I walked by them one day and I, I have all the titles and I remember a little bit about what was in each book, but the ones I remember the most are the ones where I, I took the book, got my staff together, had them all read it, and then we talked about it for like eight weeks straight. Those are the ones that stuck, and those are the, some of the things that we still use today. So I'm thinking, how do I get my book to stick? Well, if someone could take an online course with it that is going to better their own life, and if they learn one thing out of it, then that's going to be good. So that's why I wrote the course so I could get it to stick in someone's mind and have them actually use these concepts rather than just read about them and then park it somewhere. I still too, like cannot believe how big you have grown your company because I'm a small business owner and just hiring one person is challenging. And now you've yeah. figured out how to scale that to hundreds. I mean, my dad did that too. My dad actually ran a company with his parents for 40 plus years. And I, I watched my dad manage hundreds. And, you know, you also, I think said that you've hired thousands. My dad has too. And, and watching that is 
it's, it's something. Well, thank you. There's a big difference that's happening today, though. It used to be that I could, you know, put an ad in the paper and I'd have 15 people in the foyer the next day. I never did this because it's not in my DNA, but you could see people out there. Well, I'm the boss. You're the employee. Why should I hire you? You know what I mean? And they put the interview the kid, you know, like, why should I hire you? Well, it's kind of changed a little bit now. You know, these folks are walking in the door now kind of looking at you like, hey, what's in it for me to work here? And that's okay. You know, some people get put off by that, but I love that because if I can answer the question that he or she is really asking, like, can I make my life work here? Can I, can I make my life start to happen with and through your organization? If I can answer that question, I got something, okay? I've got one of those entrepreneurial employees that, that we all would love to have more of. I get to see, experience, and watch their life bloom and that would, that's what brings me to work is to, to watch all these other folks, you know, make their life happen for themselves. And then mine happens just as a side note to that. So it's a pretty cool thing to, uh, to be hiring in this current environment. A lot of people are all freaked out by it, but I embrace it because answer that question and you got something. Okay. Well, promote away, let people know how they can find you, buy your book, find your course, all the good stuff. So if you go to KenRust.com, there's all the buy buttons there. And you'll see them at Amazon and I, Apple Books and I, you know, all the independent bookstores. Don't forget those. Those are very important. And then uh, if you go to KenRusk.com forward slash path, like walking down a path, that's what we call the course. It's, a, it's like a blueprint for your life, if you will. So if you go there and click on that, you can see how you can not only buy one, but if you do buy one, we will donate it automatically to somebody else, either of your choice or, or, of, or, or someone that is in need of, of that, that information. So Please do and know that if you're helping yourself, you're helping somebody else too. I love that. Thank you so much. This has been a total pleasure. Yeah, for sure. Rena. thanks for having me. I'm, I'm glad we got together. And, and again, better call daddy. What a great name for your show. <laughs> now let's switch it over to grandpa. Uh, you had a very nice conversation with Ken Rusk about values. The funny part is, is that what I love near the end is where he mentioned that he thought that the philosophy had changed where before when he was hiring people, they would line up at the door where people couldn't wait to get a job with his company. And the funny part is, is that all of the years that we were in business, we got plenty of people that wanted jobs, but I was always interested in not having people work for me. I wanted people that wanted a future and wanted to work with me. So Part of the legacy of Metalite was, is that we were trying to find people that wanted to grow and wanted the company to grow and where we could have a family environment where we could share in the profits, where we could share in all of us doing better and having a future. And a lot of people, as we were pretty labor intense, a lot of people were learning that trade, were learning how to be promoted from within the company and be able to uh, learn management skills and to really learn how to run a business. And what's ironic is that probably 20 or 30 employees that I can think of right off the top of my head were able to leave our company and open up their own business someday. And they did. Isn't that what the American dream is? Is to be able to, as he mentioned also in the discussion, where people want to be able to control their own destiny and be able to be their own boss and find their own way and be able to do their own thing. Well, you have to have experience and knowledge and hands-on knowledge 
and experience some of that and be mentored in it and develop into it so that you can graduate and do your own thing. That's the part of what's so great about this country is that everyone has an opportunity to really be an entrepreneur, to be their own boss. But it takes dedication and hard work. And it takes not just the energy of doing it, but you have to have the passion for really wanting to make something out of yourself. That's something that I was fortunate enough to experience with the family business. And there's people that have worked for me and with me over the past 20 or 30 years where I can run into them where I hadn't seen them in 10 or 15 years. And, and we're, we're like brothers. Your dad also loved to make a deal. He loved to make a deal. And the funny part is, is that we had people that really looked up to my dad with the type of service he did for his country and how he did not look down on people. He was always uh, laughing and joking around and helping build our little empire. Uh, he, he was just a magnet with the customers on the phone and the personnel really looked up to him as that type of mentor and having an opportunity to go from nothing into something. And isn't that making our dreams come true? And isn't that what we would want for our children? He put that question back in reverse. Isn't that what we're trying to do? We're trying to be able to experience together a wealth of knowledge and growth and be able to do our own thing and be able to share that with other people and to see if we can make the world a, a little better place, but to where we can say that we contributed. Isn't that something that everyone should be looking to do? And I also love the uh, saying that we want to work our tails off to accomplish things. Yes, but we don't want the work to rule us. We want to be able to make a nice living and be able to have a full balanced life. And if you just work, 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 you don't have balance and you don't have a beautiful family and you don't have children and grandchildren. I think those people, when they're only thinking about their career, are missing out on the balance of life. I feel like you're just starting to think about balance, though. You didn't think about balance in the beginning. Well, I thought I could do it all. And unfortunately, sometimes we have to learn how to be able to manage our time and understand that things go so fast with our lives that trying to build certain goals can be quite overwhelming. And that's why a lot of people don't want to commit the extra work because they miss out on the opportunity to be with their family. And yet those that can come up with the right balance can really set a beautiful example to their children and their children's children. And those that are not or are absent and work their tails off and don't get to share it with their family, I think you're right. That can be a problem. But I think that even though that problem might exist, I think children, as they grow up and they get older and more mature and they see uh, how difficult it is to have different achievements, I think they become a little bit more understanding as well. They look up to their parents that played, you know, that were straight shooters and, uh, and shot straight and really showed that they had uh, value in everything that they did and tried to share that show that they could demonstrate that they could share it with their family. I think that has a very, very large positive effect on them. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts. 
on LinkedIn.com. 